Welcome to episode 16. I'm Mark. And I'm Rick. And welcome to an incredible interview with songwriter Holly Knight. Now, Ray, we are huge fans of all this music. And what's interesting is for all the listeners out there, you probably don't realize the songs that this songwriter has put out into the universe that you probably sing along almost on a daily basis. You know, she's got a lot of a lot of great hits from the 80s. Anne Emotions, Obsession, Loves the Battlefield, Invincible from Pat Benatar, Just Between You and Me from Lou Graham, Never from Heart, and Oh, There's the Girl from Heart, The Best from Tina Turner. I mean, it's really, really great stuff. Yeah, it really was incredible. And I started thinking about it, looking down this list. I mean, these are the songs that shaped a decade. And if you think about some of the highlights here and you were going down the list part of this interview was really to try to understand number one how did a songwriter of this nature create these songs and then two how did it evolve how did things change how do you make such great music like this and then how you continue to do that and holly really gave some quick pointers around how things have changed in the industry and how she's approaching it and if you look on here, too, she's not only written hit songs, there's actually some TV shows on here, which was Angel. You remember the Josh Whedon yep. extravaganza, which I thought was interesting. Right. I mean, it, it speaks of versatility. It speaks of the industry, too. I think if you're a songwriter, you look for opportunities to write and you take them. You know, there was a time in my life I aspired to be a songwriter. And, you know, I don't I think when I was younger, I was more naive about it. You know, you know, I want to write songs and I want to do what I want. You know, and, and I think today if I was a songwriter, it'd be like, OK, where can I hone my craft? Where can I pedal my craft? You know, you want uh, somebody wants a song. OK, you know, what do we got? It's a, a television show needs a theme. And, I'm, you know, I, hey, I'm happy to do something like that, too. And there's just a lot of opportunities there. Yeah, and what was fascinating is Holly started talking about the fact that you know, she, she had a couple bands in the 80s, mm -hmm. and this whole songwriting thing just kind of happened, and she rolled with it. And I think Holly really hit that and tried to give some background, but she does have on her site her top 10 favorite songs. So number one was Invincible by Pat Benatar, Two Change, John Waite, which I was looking back, that thing actually didn't go top 40. But to me, when I hear that song, it just gets me pumped up. And I remember it was from the Vision Quest soundtrack. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I actually went out, I got that CD back in the day. I think there was a Dio song on there and some other songs. And I was like, wow, this soundtrack is awesome. Three was Love is a Battlefield, another mm -hmm. Pat Benatar song. Better Be Good to Me, Tina mm -hmm. Turner. Space, which I thought was interesting. Charlie Sexton, mm -hmm. which was 85-ish and was supposed to be that next star that I don't think really kind of crossed over into the mainstream. And then Six was The Warrior, which scandal. And mm -hmm. Pleasure and Pain by The Divinals. And remember, their, their biggest hit. Well, one, that was their first hit. Yeah, the big hit was uh, I Touched Myself six years later. But yeah, that was their, the one from the mid-80s that you know people didn't know them as well. And then uh, they come along six years later and get a top 10 hit. Mm -hmm. and, yep. and then you said Obsession, which definitely was an 80s staple. Yep. One of the Living, which was mm -hmm. another Tina Turner song from the uh, mm -hmm. Mad Max series. And I had to go back and listen to this one. I totally forgot about this song, but I remember it, though. And then number 10 which is one that I mentioned in this interview with her, Love Touch, Rod Stewart. Huge hit. 
Yeah, that's. Uh, I was looking. I was looking back at her, the list of her her songs that she's written, and Love Touch is up there among my favorites. The other ones, Just Between You and Me by Lou Graham, a great tune, and actually, probably amazingly enough, my favorite heart tune might be There's the Girl. That's amazing. Uh, I remember that back in the day in, in 87 into 88, Bad Animals uh, album. They had Alone, and then they had Who Will You Run To, and then the third top 20 hit was There's the Girl. And I always just sort of had a fondness for that song. And that's probably, that may be my, my favorite Holly Knight song. Yeah, that's amazing. Interesting. Yeah, mine still goes with the best. I know it's kind of cliche, but... It just, it always puts me in a good mood when I hear it. I don't know what it is, but there's just certain songs that do that. And Change was up there for a while, too. So what do you think, Ray? As we head into talking about Holly, was there anything that made you think, hmm, Holly Knight could be a signature of the 80s and beyond just from some of the things that she put together? No, I just I just think about how much I, I mean I'm a, I'm a fan of the 80s music and I think of the great songwriters of the decade you know Diane Warren's like practically a hero of mine you think of Desmond Child I think of David Foster you know and and Holly Knight's right in that conversation the idea of these folks who wrote and many times you don't realize it unless you you know, unless you know them or you, you talk to them or you look them up or, and and you know I I know about this because I I was into songwriting but I think about those folks who who wrote these songs who they're not as well known as the artists but this is an important part of pop music yeah that's awesome so this week we've got our title title and holly knight style we've got either holly knight's just between you and me that she wrote for lou graham with lou graham or april wines just between you and me yeah, I gotta go Lou Graham on that one. That song is so good that it just blows the other one out of the water. Yeah, it's it's no contest. I would yeah. go the same direction. It's one of those songs that's so memorable when you hear it, you gotta crank it up. Yeah, the the sort of opening. I'm not even sure you call it quite a riff, but the opening sound of that song is just mm-hmm. so unique and and as you said, memorable. Yeah, just everything about it. Yep. Well, awesome. Well, we hope you enjoy the interview this week with Holly Knight, and we hope it inspires you and all those future songwriters out there. Let's take a listen to Holly Knight. All right, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Tunes Mate. And we have the pleasure of having composer, songwriter, extraordinaire Holly Knight here with us. How are you, Holly? I'm doing pretty good. Good. Thank you for having me. <laughs> well, we appreciate you taking the time out today. We know you're busy. Our podcast, everything that we do is revolving around music and how the songwriting process begins. But not only that, how there are so many genres of music that as people, we kind of get stuck. You know, at a certain point in our lives, we don't get past other song genres. There's a lot of stats out there. You can look at Spotify or any of these streaming networks. It says we hit a certain age and we don't find new music. We get stuck in a rut. And part of the goal of our blog and podcast is to get people to think about other kinds of music and evolve. If, if the audience doesn't know, you've done everything from Aerosmith, Lou Graham, all the way down to Dusty Springfield, all these different artists. Do you have a specific preference of music that you jump into, or is it created just around the artist? How do you approach the songwriting process when it comes to meeting with an artist? Well, that's a few questions. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah, let's go back to the first question. I mean, my favorite style is probably something that's edgier and louder, like rock music. 
Okay. But something that encompasses good songwriting so that, you know, it's usually pretty catchy. I like all kinds of music. It's just that I tend to, when I write, I tend to write more in a rock vein. You know, how it's produced after that, that happens when it gets handed off to the producer or whatever. As far as when I'm working for an artist specifically, yeah, I try to learn a little bit about the artist, but not too much because I want to be fresh and original. And sometimes I might have some ideas that I've started, which sort of helps to get the ball rolling. Otherwise, sometimes you're sitting there twiddling your thumbs and expecting to, sort of hoping that you're going to catch lightning in a bottle, but it doesn't always happen, you know. So that's kind of where I take it from there. When I'm writing by myself, it's different. I just write whatever I want. A little more freedom. A lot more freedom, yeah. <laughs> well, I've heard your story about how you landed where you are, and it sounds like you were in a band, actually a couple bands, and then you merged over into songwriting. Was there one specific moment that just all of a sudden you said, I'm going to start writing songs for others? I think that happened after I started getting some covers. And then thinking, this mm. is actually pretty cool, and maybe I'll start to deliberately write for other uh, artists. Because I think the first couple of covers that I got were songs that were already, I had written for my band. And I left the band, and they got covered by other artists, like Change with John Waite and mm. Better Be Good To Me, which was the second single on Tina Turner's Private Dancer record. That was on my band's second record. My band was Spider, and we did that. I wrote it for them, actually. So after that happened, you know, I moved to California, and I signed a new publishing deal. And that's when I started. I was over at the time. It was one of my co-writers. I was over at his house, and he, it was his label that my band had signed to. And um, that was my chapman. And he got a phone call that day while I went over there to write for him from Pat Benatar asking us to write a song or him to write a song. And he said he was with me, and we were going to write today, so we would write for her. And that's kind of what it felt like for the first time to write for somebody. And then it kind of took off from there, you know. So is that what gives you the most joy about the songwriting process is helping others kind of achieve their vision? Or is there something else about the, the most joy with your songwriting process? Well, the most joy I get is when I hear it on the radio and it's, you know, or you see it perform somewhere and then you realize that it's connecting to the fans. And that's where I get the most joy, especially if I go to a concert and I look in the audience and they're singing along the lyrics. That gives me a lot of joy. And, you know, obviously, like, hearing a good rendering, a good recording of a song by an artist, that gives me a lot of joy. And the, the converse side of that is hearing something that maybe they messed up pretty good, and, I, and then I'm thinking, oh, I just wrote this killer song, and they've turned it into an album track instead of the single that I handed them. So I was just thinking about being at a concert, hearing one of your songs, and I have. There's many that are down your list, and there's so many terrific voices. Lou Graham, Just Between You and Me. What a fabulous song. Lou, his passion and his, his voice, and you just go down the list. Are there any voices that you have wished that you could write for and have the audience singing along at their concerts that you've dreamed of? Oh, sure. Especially <laughs> lately. Yeah. Uh-huh. So lately, there's some artists that are jumping out to you that are... Oh, yeah. I would love... I, you know, I would love to be writing with Adele, for instance. I think that would be an incredible match. It just hasn't happened. I've tried. It's kind of funny, yeah. You know, Songwriters Hall of Fame, and I have all these hits, and I've been doing this for decades, and... It's still hard to get a song to an artist that you want to work with. It's amazing. Work with Halsey, I'd love to work with Bruno Mars. I mean, I'm I'm picking up the stars of today, but the, when I was, you know, the, the hits that I had were the stars of that day, and some still are, clearly. Mm -hmm. You know, like Kiss or Bon Jovi or Tina Turner. But, yeah, there are quite a few artists that I would... I, I have to say that Adele would be at the top of the list, and then 
I'd love to work with Kelly Clarkson. It seems kind of silly that we've never worked together, but... Yeah, and if you listen to Kelly's catalog, I can definitely hear some songs in there that you know, kind of seem like they could fall into some of the great songs that you have written. Yeah, I can see that. I, we yeah. were we were joking, uh, my colleague and I that run the podcast, that you know Mutt Lang had written a lot of songs for Shania Twain, but they kind of sounded like Def Leppard songs. So we started joking, like, what if Def Leppard did, you know, man, I feel like a woman or something, one of those songs. But have you ever done that where you've written a song and said, oh, this is definitely for this artist. And then all of a sudden another artist takes it and you have to kind of tweak the language or the something about it. Oh, sure. I mean, the most classic one would have to be Tina Turner doing the best. I uh, originally wrote that song for another artist and that was Paul Young. And, uh, then it got cut by Bonnie Tyler, and it was, I mean, she's got a great voice, but it really didn't do anything. I don't even know if it came out in the States. And then Tina Turner heard the song, and she, she fell in love with it, but she said, but it's incomplete, and I need a bridge, and I need, I want it to go up in key at the end of the song so I can really belt it out. And so we went back to the drawing board, and we wrote, my Chava and I wrote that song too. And so we went back, and we, we basically rewrote it for her and it's her biggest song it's certainly my biggest song so sure and that's amazing how it can transform and then like you said once you start working with an artist and it seems like tina turner you really had some chemistry there or or still do and yeah. once an artist latches on it seems like there's some chemistry there and i even see there's a lot here that you mentioned kiss and paul stanley and, and ace fraley's when you're doing that are there some things that you say no i can't do that do you draw a line in that relationship not really i mean i've done that i've written for tv where i've written i've written a couple of uh, tv themes for shows and there was one i wrote it was a song called you make me happy it was on a show called still standing and they wanted a full-length song and then they wanted it edited down to 30 seconds and so i decided that i was going to be the one to do the editing because i didn't want someone ripping up my song so i did it and all the edits worked and then they asked for one more at the end and i said there's no way i'm going to do that because there's going to be no song left so no and then they went okay that show is transcendent. I know that it went, it was on one neck, working another. So it's kind of nice that you, you had some longevity with that, that theme song. And then even Angel, I, you know, that was another theme song that you know, yeah. seems to really have transcended to a, a very large audience. So when it comes to those shows, because I, you know, I see that Love Touch with Rod Stewart, that was for the Legal Eagle soundtrack, right? Correct. But soon afterwards, I wrote actually for him. I met with him. I was originally going to write it with him. And that didn't produce, like, any results, so I just told him I was going to finish it on my own, and he cut it. And then it got placed in Legal Eagles. The video was very strong, and that really transcended. I think that was a big summer hit, if I recall. And uh-huh. that song, yeah, that song, I'm telling you, it was on every radio. You must have been smiling that entire summer, because <laughs> that was a pretty huge song. And yeah. when you sit down and you, you know, for example, you're sitting down with Rod Stewart, you're writing Love Touch... I know the title because I was listening to something with Desmond Child where he was saying he likes picking titles that kind of oppose each other, that stand out, like you give love a bad name. And that's kind of how he comes up with those titles. When you do something with Love Touch, is it the title comes first? Are you looking, are you kind of doing that Desmond Child kind of thing or does it organically happen? How does a title like that come to be? I keep a list of titles so that if I'm walking around, and I hear or I see something, I just kind of jot it down and add it to the list and then forget about it. And then usually what will happen is I'll start from the music 
point of things. And as soon as I get some sort of something that feels like it might lead to something, I start, I find a title that works with it and then just go from there. But uh, yeah, I definitely think having a good title is a good roadmap, a place to start from. And then obviously, you know, certain lyrics convey certain emotions. So that would dictate some that might work and some that wouldn't because it's, let's say it's a dark title. It's not going to work with like a happy major kind of <laughs> tune, you know, mm-hmm. like the kind of the dark titles go with the minor keys, which tend to work mostly in my favor because I, I prefer minor keys, to major ones. Yeah. I mean, I like, I look at love is a battlefield. I mean, that's a classic the songs with Pat Benatar and you know we're located over in Cleveland and I know that Cleveland was a, a large breakout town for a lot of the artists back in the day is there one region where you I know your songs are you know transcend but is there one region where you can look on a map and say wow my songs really resonate in this area that's a that's a hard question um I guess it depends on the tune and what the audience and demographic is there. Mm-hmm. But I've done well in Germany, if that helps, and England. And uh, I mean, I'm from New York. I live in LA, so it'd be hard. I'd, I'd hear and think, oh, this is the place yeah. where they play it most. But that's only because I'm here. And right. I'm hearing. But it is amazing though, how some artists are definitely very regional. And, and then I could see that if you're writing a song for them, it's going to connect with that audience. I guess that's where my question was going. But there's one song I see on here that always, it's a strange thing, but I always wondered how this got connected back to the music artists and emotion obsession there was uh-huh. for a while there back in the 80s they used to have those like wwf throwdowns and i believe there was one wrestler that used that song as their entrance i can't remember who it was but it's it's rifling my brain and i wondered if how you feel about that when an artist or a performer or somebody selects one of your songs to represent them do they have to approach you and say hey holly you know i really want to use this song as my entrance theme or or use it as as some other way how does that work well, they're supposed to anyway. Whether they do or not is a whole other story. But yes, they're supposed to license it. Okay. So, for instance, when Derek Jeter retired to the best and when Wayne Gretzky retired to the best and skated around the rink, you know, holding his shirt, they licensed the tune. And, of course, I'm very proud of that. I love that. Yeah, that's great. It really brings some positive feelings. On that note, has Weird Al Yankovic ever contacted you about doing a parody of any of your songs? No, no, he hasn't. Because there's quite a few in here. I could see that. He could have done your Simply a Past. See? You're, you're giving him ideas because I think he needs a new record out. So I think we're going down, down that path. So that's cool with, you know, you've been able to really impact culturally, not even just at concerts, at huge venues when, when athletes are retiring. It's, it's kind of their swan song. And when you're doing that, have you ever thought about this? Because the song, there's a lot of mashups that are out there and a lot of... Uh, mashup artists are taking certain songs combining them are there two of your songs that you could see you can just combine together that they're similar that they would mash well together in your mind have you ever done like a medley or anything of that nature um i haven't but like a lot of the songs mash well because they're all about pointed out to me a lot of them are not all but many of them are about fighting and in my mind not so much about fighting with someone as fighting for something you know they're Mm -hmm. kind of crusade anthems or whatever but you could have Invincible easily with the best, or you could have Love is a Battlefield and the Warrior, you know, or Invincible and the Warrior would be a good one. Yeah, that would be cool. It's one of my songs, Love is a Battlefield, is actually part of a mashup in the Holy Grail of mashups, which is Moulin Rouge on Broadway. I mean, that has something like 140 songs in it. And what they've done is they've taken, you know, like three or four songs that have sort of the same theme and made them into one song. Like if, 
for instance, You're My Angel or, you know, any songs about angels, Halo, things like that, they make, you know, they would make it into one song. So Love is a Battlefield was in there amongst the many tunes, you know. Mm-hmm. I love mashups. I think they're cool. Clever. Yeah, they're really fun. I, I listened to one recently that you may get a kick out of. It was um, they did Rock and Roll All Night, and they, uh-huh. they put it to Easy by the Commodores. So they made it into a ballad, and it actually really works. It's 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 amazing. I think it's by DJ Cumberbund. And uh-huh. it's, it's interesting how those work together because all of a sudden now I feel I should be getting my Bic lighter out instead of you know jumping around singing to rock and roll all night. So it is right. interesting how it can just change the vibes so fast. It is fun. And I wonder you know what the future of music holds. And I guess that's my cheesy segue into Holly Knight. What are some of the things that you're currently thinking about in the future? Do you have any projects or anything that our fans or your fans would love to anticipate? Well, I wrote a book for Broadway, which was a musical with a lot of my hit and some new material, but then decided that it would be much hipper to make it into a movie first because I'm, you know, I just like the cinematic process. It's very different from Broadway. And so I wrote a screenplay with someone and just right now I'm trying to get it into production. It's going to be amazing though. Very edgy and very different than the musicals that have been out. Does someone have to play you? Well, it's not a straight-out biopic. Okay. There's cool. many of those, and so it's more about the person behind the music, and it's just, it's loosely based on my story, sort of like, if you would imagine, Almost Famous and Cameron Crowe. Um, so it's got different names and things like that, but it's really a story about the struggle to, to have your own voice, and people keep trying to stop you and tell you no, and there's cynics and... You know, it's like screw all the cynics. So it's it's more about that, and also there are so many people behind the scenes that really don't get credit and basically get shoved to the side. And it's it's more a story about that than Holly Knight. That's a great story. I think there are many people out there that are in that same boat, and. I think that gives them the courage to keep moving forward. And I know personally, many artists that are continually thinking about how they can move ahead. And there are a lot of critics out there. So I look forward to seeing that and consuming it. I think it's going to be interesting to see how you put a twist on that. Because ever since the Bohemian Rhapsody movie came out, there's been such a popularity in getting that. But like you said, there's been other films that have been out that have covered that topic. Yeah, well, I mean, it's not as bad as Broadway, which is just oversaturated. And the whole point is that, like, whether it's, you know, Elton John or Freddie Mercury, those are famous people. I mean, this is more a story about all the other people that make those people look good, you know? Yeah, it's exciting. I, I take that back. I mean, nobody made Freddie Mercury look good. He was, a, he was like a genius <laughs> unto himself. I'm just saying that this is not like a typical biopic. We have enough of those. There's probably more to come. Yeah, it's, they're they're spreading, but it gives. I think it gives people hope, and I think people want to know more behind the scenes. And I, some of it's fictional, but it does give people something to to think about. Like, well, I, I didn't know that. And if there was one thing about Holly Knight that people just don't know about, is there is there one thing that you could share that people would say, "Wow, I I had no idea Holly Knight did that." Uh, well, I'm classically trained, and I started when I was four, and studied for 10 years and I was being groomed to be a classical piano so I still play pretty pretty well after all these years I play a lot of uh, classical and 
it's always interesting if someone's at my house and I sit down and I start playing Beethoven. I'm like, I didn't know you could do that. I didn't know you were an actual player. And I said, yeah, well, that's how I started. I'm also majorly now at the, the second half of my life into photography. And I have a photography website as well as a, my official music site, which is hollynightphoto.com. I'm really into fine art and I like to photograph a lot of old architecture around the world and cemeteries and that. That's great. Yeah, it sounds like you were able to continue that creative muscle and be able to apply it now into another category. And in music and photography, those really work well together. And then it sounds like you've got this new cinema project out. So you're able to flex all those muscles, including the, the classical ones. It sounds yeah. like. <laughs> and I'm also writing my memoirs, which, you know, now that I've been working for years on screenplays and the book from my musical, I've become a better writer. So I've gone back to the original memoirs and, and I'm just like redoing it. And yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I think people want to know the stories behind what they know what i mean even like big artists yes but even smaller people like how did you you know how did you do this because i want to do this so i think they're good sources of inspiration for talented people out there you know especially if there's struggles and i don't really like the biopics where everything is perfect and there's a nice little ribbon on it and i'm not going to mention it but there's been a few mm -hmm. i've read that are just so boring and i'm really interested in like i want to know like the warts and all the other stuff. Uh, I loved Ozzy Osbourne's biography. It was like very self-deprecating and funny. And I'd rather read something like that than just how perfect everything is because that's not honest. Life is mm -hmm. not perfect, you know? Yeah, I didn't get a chance to read Ozzy's, but I, I am in the process of Pete Townsend's uh, Who I Am. I don't know if you had a chance to do that one, but it's funny and he just kind of gets to the point and he really talks about his songwriting process and how he does things. It's really uh -huh. fascinating. The question that I was thinking about, though, was so this source of inspiration, and I think this is a good point to kind of wrap things up. I want to be respectful of time, but I kept thinking about I recently saw this interview was with Eddie Van Halen. He went to the Smithsonian and he asked for audience, you know, questions from the audience. And someone raised their hand and said, it's now, you know, we're in this new decade and I'm an artist. You know, what advice would you give? And he basically said the same I did in the past, <laughs> you know, just work hard. You get your music out there because like, well, what about YouTube and everything else? And he's like, do the same thing. And I think a lot of people are always searching for, you know, what's that magic bullet it's that, uh, you know, what's that secret sauce to do it? And I think that's why these inspiration is is what people are looking for. Mm -hmm. Correct. Uh, are you asked? Is that a question? That's a good question. <laughs> Yes. How about a question? I'll turn it into a question. It was a question slash statement, uh, an observation, I guess. Okay. I think that times have changed a lot, so I don't think it's true to say um, just do what you've always done, and because times have changed tremendously. I mean, I think at the source of it, yes, just write and do what you love and keep it real. You know, don't worry about writing for this artist or someone. Just come write what honestly comes from you and not what you've heard before. But I think it's harder to get things out there now with Spotify and Pandora. It's harder to make money. It's harder to get known because you don't, you know, your calling card has always been your credit. So when you had a record, people could see on the record, oh, Holly Knight wrote Love is the Battlefield. But there are no records anymore. It's all invisible and it's streaming. So when you go to say something like iTunes, I've heard that you can look somewhere and you'll see who wrote what song, but mm -hmm. it's not the same. I mean, there's so many people it takes to make a great record. So there are the engineers and the producers and obviously the band members. And sometimes they're the writers or they're outside writers, the musicians. 
obviously are an important thing too. I don't know how they make money without getting their name out there now. Because when you get your name out there, you get more work from it and people get to know you and then they go to you. So I, you know, I would say that you just kind of got to do your own thing and we're, you're lucky. I mean, we didn't have YouTube and we didn't have formats where we could, anybody could just put their music out there. I mean, anybody can put their music on iTunes. You just have to get an aggregate and I think a good one is TuneCore because you get a lot more money than if you go directly to iTunes. And by an aggregate, I mean a middle person. You can't just go straight to iTunes and throw it on there. You have to have you have to go through like a middle person. But you know, try and do something that makes you go viral. You take advantage of social media, and because that's what a lot of a lot of them are doing, you know, and try and find music supervisors where you can get your song placed in a movie or a TV because you'll get some money from it, and if they like you, they'll keep using you. So that's a really good piece of advice for people that, oh, how do I get my stuff out there? Well, that's, I've just given you some tips. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Well, you heard it from Holly Knight. There's some great advice out there. If you're an artist, you're looking for inspiration, definitely look to Holly. She's got some great projects that are in the works that will continue to inspire not only the catalog that you've already uh, is out there for you to listen to there's more on the way so holly we really appreciate you taking the time out and to check everything out it's hollynight.com and then hollynightphotography.com correct and then my instagram is at hollynightvision and my twitter is at hollynightlife basically all spelled with a k and that's the point that's right <laughs> Well, anyway, a, thanks for having me. This was fun, and yeah. I hope your listeners enjoyed listening to this interview. Appreciate it, Holly. Hope you have a great rest of your day, and thanks for the time. Okay. Take care. Okay. You too. Bye. Ciao, babe.